Sunny 16 presents. another episode of music and photography podcast i'm billy sanford and honored to be here today with kevin lane kevin uh thank you so much for making some time for me how are you i'm doing great billy how are you i'm doing wonderful uh maybe a little bit of a short backstory for the listeners so this idea of a music and photography podcast first came to me around last uh, it was around thanksgiving 2021 and the original idea was just a single episode, and I thought, you know, it would be really nice if I could talk to a few members of the community who I knew had an interest in both of these things, music and photography. And it, as it just so happened at that time, uh, there was a photo event planned for Laurel Snow Nature Preserve <laughs> about two or three weeks out from when I had this idea and I was planning on being there and you were going to be there. And I was hoping that it would work out at that time uh, because we were going to go into town after the photo walk and, and have a little lunch that maybe I could get uh, five or 10 minutes from you to, to get your thoughts on these subjects. And, and, you know, the weather had other plans because that, that ended up getting canceled. It's been canceled twice. That's, <laughs> that's right. Uh, you know, in retrospect, I'm I'm not happy for anybody who suffered storm damage, but I'm I'm grateful because that you know what my intent at that time was just like a five or ten minute conversation, and this has grown into something much uh, bigger that I that I've been blessed to talk to so many people, uh, and and glad to finally have the opportunity to chat with you on these things. Well, you may wish we only had five or ten. <laughs> <laughs> I should also uh, let everyone who, who may uh, not can tell from the recording that this is a first in-person podcast as well. You, you were gracious enough to have me into your city and show me around, and we had a nice lunch and uh, made some pictures around the aquarium. So just uh, in addition to uh, thanking you for, for taking some time for the podcast, just really appreciate your hospitality. Well, I appreciate it. I'm so glad you're able to, to come up, and it's great to have you uh, practically a neighbor, not that <laughs> far away. We, I tell you, we really do, and I know Wayne uh, is um, interested in getting the photo walk rescheduled for sometime right. this fall. Uh, as I'm sure anyone who's been listening to the podcast knows that, uh, and that's to say my podcast, Uncle Jonesy's Cameras podcast, uh, that Wayne had knee surgery, and his knee replacement surgery has gone very well, and he's getting around some, and he'll be ready to do that photo walk. We're, he could probably do it sometime soon, even, but we want to wait until the weather is more appropriate, get uh, into a little bit, like we can get out in the morning. The sun is up, coming up a little later, get that nice light out at Laurel Snow, and try that again, so... We're, it's going to happen. Hopefully, <laughs> I say that. I mean, surely we won't get canceled a third time. The That's, first time was the pandemic. Right. We had it scheduled for March the twentieth in nineteen, or rather twenty twenty, <laughs> and everybody knows what happened then. So. That's right. That that was very unfortunate that everything happened uh, when it did there. But that's actually the perfect segue because the first thing I wanted to talk to you about was the Uncle Jonesy's Camera Podcast. So that was a, a perfect segue. I, that was how I first became familiar with you and knew that you might have an interest on these two subjects. 
But for anybody who, who, you know, may not be familiar, why don't you tell us a little bit about Uncle Jonesy and about the podcast and how all of that got started? Well, the podcast itself came out of conversations that my brother Kelly, who was our partner, and also he's still a Shutter brother, of course. He always right. will be a Shutter brother, and he will be back on the show at some point. He's very, very busy working on his uh, guitar building business. He builds high-end acoustic guitars. Uh, he'll build anything you want, but his favorite or his specialty is building uh, guitars modeled after pre-war Martin guitars. And if you if that you know if you know right <laughs> that's right if you know you know how that's how it goes. <laughs> and um, he'll be back on. But in the spring of 2017, we were having frequent conversations because we both on our own kind of worked our way back into getting our film cameras out of the closet and using them again. It kind of all centered around the, the C41 developing kit because I think we were probably shooting color. Uh, well, we were shooting color because we were shooting digital cameras, right? right. Um, and uh, Kelly, it was actually Kelly that found, uh, told me about the C41 kit at the time from the FPP. You could get one for 20 bucks. It would do 20 rolls of film. That's a dollar a roll. Right. That's a whole lot cheaper than sending it off to Dwayne's in Kansas and uh, you <laughs> and could quicker. you could shoot it today and develop it tonight and right. let it dry and scan it tomorrow <laughs> and that was a great workflow and we did that so uh, w what we would do is we would call each other uh, he would be between pianos tunings he'd be in his car I would be either on my lunch break at school I was an elementary school teacher at the time or at the end of the day uh, at the end of the work day, students gone home. I'm sitting in the office with my feet up on the desk. <laughs> yes, right. no, no. And uh, Kelly would call me and we would chat about the things that we had learned since our last conversation. Did you know that you could do this? Did you know that there's ways, there's other ways to control the temperature? There's, um, and whatever we learned, we would try and talk about it. And I told him at some point, you know, we're not the only ones doing this. We know this. Right. And we're learning all this stuff. Wouldn't it be great to put together a podcast so that we could simply share what we've learned to other people? Uh, because we are, Kelly's a former educator. I'm an, uh, now a former educator. So um, that was how the Uncle Jonesy's Cameras podcast came about. And it's named after our Uncle Jonesy. We had a wonderful uncle. He was actually our great uncle. He's my mom's uncle. And... He was just the kind of guy who would always take interest in us. We'd go over to his house, uh, which wasn't very far from where we lived. He would always have interesting things for us to do. He, we would put his records on the record player, or we would go into his basement, and he'd have electronic projects for us. And then, of course, when it got dark, if we were there at evening, or if we could like turn the blinds down and make it dark in the room, we would, he would show slides. And he had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of color slides, about 65, 70% of which are Kodachrome. And okay. they look as great today as wow. they did. The other uh, remaining percentage was E6 film that he, would, he bought. He worked at a company that was owned by 3M. Okay. So he was able to get Scotch, color, Scotch Chrome Right. in the company store and it was made in Italy Ferrania I think made it right and like all E6 film at least of the time it wasn't that stable anyway he always had a camera with him and we never had a family gathering without Jonesy taking pictures he, he just felt like it was his duty to record moments right and then when he and his wife our aunt Claire would take trips as they often did in the summer they'd go on a two-week trip they'd drive to New York North Carolina the Grand, um, I'm not sure how far out west they made it, but I do know they went to New Orleans one year, right. New England. He would take pictures, and then he'd come home, get the slides developed, and then we'd go over, and that's how we saw the, you know, what New York looked like. Right. Or how uh, the Wright brothers, at Kitty Hawk at, New York, uh, at North Carolina, how that looked. Uh, New Orleans, all these places that he would go, we saw through the eyes of his camera and his slides. So that was that just made an impact, and it was only right. natural for us to want to get cameras of our own and and do that. Right, Big, it really captured your imagination. 
Well, just how you could do it, how you could, how the camera worked, how right. the, how you got, and of course with slide film, how you got a positive image <laughs> right. with it. And sometimes he'd give the camera to us and he'd say, all right, you take my picture. <laughs> and, uh, and so one of us would, he'd already pre-focused it. He had an, an Argusatronic okay. one, which was kind of um, a follow-up to the famous Argus C3. Right. Had an automatic exposure in it. And, uh, but you still had to focus it. And so it was just magical. And of course, we'd wait for the slides to come in and go over and look at it. It was great. Right. And you were telling me, I think, that you and Kelly both, when you got your first paychecks, that's, that's what you did is went and bought a couple of cameras, right? Right. We got jobs in the, the county where we went to high school in uh, the Atlanta area. And we both had elementary music teaching jobs. And uh, the school year started later back then, <laughs> moms and dads <laughs> who have their <laughs> kids in school uh, in August. You're probably glad, but for teachers out there, you know, going back for pre-planning on August 1st, it wasn't always like that. Right. <laughs> used to be way after Labor Day. Anyway, so the first teacher paycheck would, would be, since we only worked half a month in September, we didn't get the paycheck till the end of October. Right. And it was direct deposit. I still remember it was a Friday. And we had been shopping uh, on um, photography magazines and local ads in the Atlanta newspaper. And there was a camera store, Crown Camera, right. I think, on the, um, I think it was Piedmont Street in Atlanta. Anyway, and uh, they had a Minolta S- XG1. For a hundred and fifty something dollars, the body, and then you paid another forty something dollars for uh, a Minolta uh, Rokar MD um, F2 okay. for forty-five millimeter lens, okay. which is now very popular. <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, a pancake lens. So right. you're getting this camera lens things for less than two hundred dollars. So we both bought the same thing, and okay, so. Great. In those intervening years between buying that first camera and starting your own podcast about film photography, what what sort of role did photography play for you? Was it just family vacation photos? Were you using it as a creative outlet as well during the bulk of your life there in the middle? Yeah. Oh, yes. Trying to anyway. Right. Um, Obviously, if there were family gatherings... We would, I would do that. And then when I had my own family, that was the way we recorded. I mean, I also have hundreds and hundreds of slides that I've stored away in the closet. And um, a little aside, I have grown daughters now. They're both uh, in their early 30s. And um, when they come to visit, it always amazes me to say, Dad, get out the slide projector. Let's look at slides. (laughs) That is awesome. And we take wonderful trips into our past that way. It's, but, uh, yeah, we do that. But I'd also try to see something cool right? and take a picture of it. I don't think I had a lot of skill then, and I don't think I have a, a lot of skill now, actually. <laughs> but, but it would be something i try to do. Right. You know what I used to do? I used to think a dream job with a camera would be that of, I guess, what they called travel photographer. Right. where you're paid to go visit someplace, (laughs) take beautiful photos of the, you know, the the scenics, landscapes, cityscapes, uh, architecture, whatever, and then uh, write an article about that and then go get on another uh, airplane and go to another place (laughs) and do the same thing. That seemed like a dream job. That would be a great job for sure. So doing the podcast and then one of the other things that you have started doing, you mentioned, um, so we are in Chattanooga and the scenic city, the scenic city. (laughs) That's right. And there is a community darkroom here that you have been involved with helping them. Well, well, why don't you tell us all that you've done in conjunction with them and and just on your own in there? Well, in that same year 2017 Kelly and I shot lots and lots of color film and developed a C41 kit but somewhere along the way I knew because I've always had 
a fondness for black and white photography that I wanted to shoot some black and white photography. Right. And at the time I, we were living in our house, Debbie, uh, my wife, Debbie and I lived in a house in a suburb just across the state line called wrinkled. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's a place where we raised our kids and I used the upstairs Jack and Jill bathroom for my film developing activities. And I would go up there sometimes and just try to imagine how I could turn it into a dark room. And it was, it would have been really hard because there was a window and there was lots of light coming in through, cause it was Jack and Jill's. So there was multiple doors going in to areas. It just, it would have been a lot of work. And then when I was, finished using it I'd have to take it all down and turn it back into a bathroom again I couldn't just leave it as a dark room because we might have company or something or whatever you know right so I knew I couldn't print other than scan it and use a digital use a uh, inkjet printer which is nothing wrong with that right and I still have prints here in in my condo that were printed that way but I I have worked in a dark room before over 35 years ago and really wanted to do that. Well, magically, I, I don't remember if I saw it on Facebook or whatever, but I saw this notice that a community darkroom was opening in Chattanooga. And so that would be later on in the year. I looked into it, contacted the owner and founder and wonderful person, so thankful. If you're listening, Tori, Tori Fife is the owner of Safe Light District and said, hey, uh, we we do a film podcast in the Chattanooga area. We want to interview you, so we actually went over to the dark room and set up, and did a. And you can find that podcast if you go to Uncle Jonesy's. I can't tell you the episode number, but it's there. Right. So, as even though I lived a good twenty twenty five minutes away from it, as soon as I was able, I I try to get a I got a membership and try to get over there as often as I could, and then the the pandemic happened. Well. Actually, what happened was in 2019, my wife and I moved to downtown Chattanooga. So now I'm just three miles away from the dark room, and it's a lot easier to get to. Right. And then during pandemic, when everything else shut down, uh, I, I remember uh, sending a message to Tori saying, "Hey, uh, is the dark room still open?" And she answered back. It says, "Well, it's certainly not an essential business. <laughs> so officially, we're closed, but you can use it anytime you like." Wow. So I yeah. went over there quite a bit. Right. And um, it was a blast. It still is. Right. I and love making prints. <laughs> but they also do some workshops. Well, that not you've only that, with. they do workshops. So the other big thing they do is they're also a film lab. Okay. And that's actually been the biggest surprise right. of Safe Light District is how much film is being shot in Chattanooga by photographers who just want to shoot the film but not develop it right. themselves. And most of it, of course, is color. Right. And so they'll drop it off, and Tori develops the film and uh, sleeves the negatives, puts the, um, and then scans them. Right. Before sleeving them, obviously. <laughs> and, then, and then sleeves the negatives. And then uh, puts them in the uh, pickup box where they can be picked back up and sends a link for someone <laughs> can see their scans. And so it's a lab. Right. So that's a busy part of it. But... We also want to teach people in the Chattanooga area how to develop their own film, how to um, make prints in the darkroom. In fact, we even have a workshop on basic camera techniques. So if you're a digital shooter and you want to learn how to use a film camera, or if you want to get into photography from the ground up as a film shooter, we've got uh, a workshop that'll teach you how to load them and hold them and shoot them <laughs> and how to get the film out and all that right have success right okay well and the re- one of the reasons for asking about that you mentioned that you that you retired as a teacher and and I want to talk a little bit about that in a minute because that's certainly a big part of your musical story as well but just with the you know listening to Uncle Jonesy's cameras podcast it doesn't um to me as a listener i haven't ever felt like your goal was to teach it was more like hey i'm on this journey and i'm inviting you to come along and let me share you know lessons learned tricks and tips uh that i've learned along the way and let's uh 
you know, just share the journey, so to speak. So, you know, but there is that element of share of, of you and Kelly initially, and now you and Wayne and Kelly, whenever he is available Yes. to share, you know, your enjoyment and passion and appreciation of photography with other people. And there's that component in running a workshop as well, or teaching someone basic camera skills or darkroom printing or anything like that. I guess I was curious about that part of it for you. I mean, you obviously enjoy photography as a solo pursuit, making images that you enjoy, but what, what about that part of it, of, of sharing that enthusiasm for it with other people? Is that related to you having been a teacher or just how you are naturally, or does it feed another part of it for it's you? probably all of that. I mean, I, uh, any good any good teacher, and I'm married to one of the best there ever was. Right. <laughs> My wife Debbie uh, is a was a career elementary school teacher. The last uh, I don't know ten more years or so as a well probably longer than that actually closer to eighteen years as a third grade teacher. Anyway, any good teacher knows that an important part of the education process is the celebration part. When uh, a student masters a skill and something good happens, that you celebrate it, that it's an important thing. So uh, like when I'm teaching a film developing workshop, I always like do a a little build up to, all right, we're gonna, we do the final wash. We say, are we ready? It could be all blank, but I don't think so. You know, I think, I, let's see. Let's take it right. out. I always make the student do it. I reach here, take that, take the reel out, and it's a plastic. I I like plastic reels. You know, so right. you undo them and take that. And then I've gone over and I've turned on. There's uh, in in our dark room. There is a light box, uh, and I've turned it on uh, at this stage when it's I mean, you know it's okay to be on. It's okay because it's, the film's in the tank anyway. And I say, all right, you've got gloves on. Hold that film up and let's hold it over here. Look. And I go, we've got images. You know? <laughs> it's the first time. It's right. the first time they've ever done that. I said, you shot it. You developed it. And someday you're going to make prints from it. Right. Because that's the next step. And I said, if you think this was fun, wait until you see your print. Uh, when we turn the light on, wait, you see it in the fixer tray. Right. There's, there's nothing like it. So, yeah, because that just means that they'll, I want to get them hooked. Right. I feel that's my job. And when I was a music <laughs> teacher, that was my job. So I thought you teaching them so they'll pass a test or that they'll join the band. Right. I said, no, I just want to get them hooked on music. <laughs> I want music to be essential to them. They can't live without. As a listener, that's okay. If you're a listener, you don't play anything. But you're hooked on music, well, that's that's we need that too. That's an important part of it, right? Perhaps the most important part. So I just that's I just feel like celebrating at that point. That's right. Well, and and so you you kind of mentioned, you know, how you're talking to someone who may be new about the process, and you know, you shot it, you developed it, and maybe you'll be printing it soon. And so you and I were chatting as we were walking back uh, here to your home that on one of the most more recent episodes of Uncle Jonesy's, you were talking about not that, not that you were in a rut. It, you, it felt like you were ready to maybe take your photography to a different place or another level, or you set a standard, I I think is the word that you used on the podcast. And so when we were chatting about this, walking along the river downtown, we were talking about how a lot of people who are new to film photography, you know, they like, and, 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 and even people who have been doing it for a long time, enjoy using different cameras or enjoy using different films or, or maybe experimenting with uh, some of the more experimental emulsions or 
doing, you know, techniques that have an element of unpredictability to them. <laughs> and that's perfectly fine. I mean, if, if a person is getting enjoyment out of that, then that's great. But one other path that it sounded to me like you were on, and I'm, I feel like I'm sort of on that same path or, or one very similar to it, was wanting to kind of do the best you can at a very specific thing. But don't let me put words in your mouth. Why don't you talk us through where you're at currently with photography? Well, it's, again, all of what you said was true. Right. And I went through it. I, when we got back, when we got our, when I got my, my cameras were two Nikon SLRs that I had acquired along the way that had been in a closet for a while because, I mean, I get them out occasionally. It was almost like nostalgia. You know, um, I'll shoot some, uh, some color negative film for this event. I'll just do it for fun. But then I'd have to pay the shipping, send it to Dwayne's. Uh, I think it was like, 16 18 dollars for the developing and printing or whatever and then and shipping back the whole process might take four weeks for it to happen and then the prints would come back and it was great and i have some of those you know but uh, when we were able to do that ourselves it it, it opened the door to wanting to try other cameras because at the time and it's not true anymore it's for those of you who are just getting into film photography there was a time <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't that long ago when you could go down to your local antique store and you could find amazing cameras that i being older you know our first camera that minolta xg1 we bought in 1980 which doesn't seem that long ago to me, which shows you how old I actually am. <laughs> right. um, but uh, we would see cameras that we had uh, dreamt about owning then. And we were buying their basic entry-level camera. But we knew there were other cameras, and we knew there were other camera brands. And we knew there were other camera formats. We knew there was Hasselblad's, and we knew there were other, these other things. Um and not that I've ever seen a Hasselblad in an antique store, but I have seen, in those days, I've seen Nikon F3s for 75 bucks in an antique store or for 95 bucks in an antique store. I didn't buy it at the time. I kind of wish I had. <laughs> I've, but anyway, I've seen um, X700s for $15 right. in an antique store. You're not going to see that now. Right. They're, all, they're, they're, they're not there. Uh, unless you're extremely lucky, it, it 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 I'm saying it 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 does happen, but it doesn't happen to seem around here. Anyway, so we went through that phase of just what we called rescuing cameras. Oh look, it's here in an antique store. It should be doing what it was meant to do, right? And it's going to cost me fifteen dollars. And look, it works. <laughs> <laughs> so we take it home, and Kelly still has a lot of those cameras, right? Um, and I have a few. And I have the negatives to show for it. I have my negatives and sleeves that say, oh, look, here's the, here's the, the roll of film I shot. There was once where um, I had commented on somebody on a Facebook post because I was, you know, the whole Leica thing. Mm -hmm. And I had thought, well, if I was going to own a Leica, which one would it be? And I kind of settled on an M2. I thought that would be the perfect one for me. Right. So somebody had a nice, shiny, bright M2. <laughs> And I, I commented something. I hope I get to experience using one of these one day. So someone was very nice to message me and say, hey, um, I've got my M2. Someone is using it, and they'll be sending it back to me, but why don't I have them send it to you, and you can use it for a couple of weeks and then send it on to me. Very nice. And so it came to me, and I used it. Right. I, I was actually more afraid of dropping it, <laughs> which, of right. course, I didn't. But it, it kind of took a little bit of experience away because I felt like, oh, my God, what if something happens to this thing? Right. But I did shoot a couple of rolls in it. I can show you those, those negatives now. There's nothing on them worth printing. Right. And, and that's, that's because it's not the camera. It's the photographer. It, the, the photography happens between your ears. Right. And um, 
but the camera experience was great. Don't get it was awkward because I didn't had never used one before. Had you used any rangefinders? I uh, yes, I think the first rangefinder I used, I ever used was a Minolta Seven S. Okay, but it's a the Seven S is kind of a a cross between it loads like an SLR but shoots like a rangefinder. Okay. And of course, M M cameras and of course the thread mount cameras too are all very different in the way they load. <laughs> right. And you can mess them up. That's right. If you do it wrong. So but but all that aside. Mm-hmm. And then I have um negatives from other cameras I've tried over over that time. And I was in the darkroom once recently, and I think I talked about this on the last show, where I already had one photo that I wanted to print. I'd made with a twin lens reflex, my rolly cord, and um, printed it. I, I knew that was going to be a good one. I was very happy with it. But I had more time. It printed rather easily, which is unusual, <laughs> but always right. welcome. Absolutely. And uh, I had time, so I started. I didn't really make plans to what to do next. I just started flipping through and tra- randomly trying to f- find frames. And I kept, I must, I, I had a, a real losing streak of picking the wrong frames. I'm sure there's decent stuff in there. I just picked right. all the wrong ones because right. I, I, I would abandon the process after two or three tries or maybe the test print or something. And just thinking, man, there's a lot more bad photos in here than I thought, but they were all made with awesome cameras. Right. So it just made me realize that it's it's probably better for me to focus on a smaller number of cameras, maybe, and I'm not sure I'm there yet, but maybe just one camera of each format. Right. Right? Get really at one with it. And then, uh, because I went home with just one print, which I was thankful for. I always liked, I mean, but I, you book a four-hour session, and you're using 100 milliliters of chemistry right. um, in the one to nine, so 100 milliliters of multigrade developer, and then 900 milliliters of water. So you're throwing that down the uh, drain after you're done. Right. You want more than that. And I just thought it, the important thing here is to go in with a, a lot of, with more printable negatives. Right. It's not the camera experience that's important to me now. It's that print experience. Right. Okay. Well, and so one other uh, thing on the on photography, I was just curious about since you mentioned that you were um, elementary school teacher, and one of the things, one of the ways you were able to integrate photography with your career was working on the yearbook. Yes. And so I was curious uh, about the film part of that in particular and, and what people were they intrigued once you started working film into that? Well, <laughs> did they ask quite, did you have opportunities to get any of them hooked on film? Uh, n- not at the other faculty members, right. but I was focusing on the students. Right. Yeah. That was uh, 2018 maybe or 19. I can't remember. No, it had to be 2018. And, um, I was just so into it, you know, this, I just, like I discovered something I really, really wanted to do with all my spare time. And it was natural that it would bleed over into my teaching. I just felt like, here's something I can teach kids how to do. I mean, everybody has a camera because they all had phones. (laughs) All the elementary school kids had phones. (laughs) So, but they can do that, but let's teach them to do something a little bit more crafty. Right. To make something. So... I started a little club and I got some donations mm-hmm. of some point and shoots and some other cameras too. Okay. found that some of them had parents or grandparents with film cameras in the closet. <laughs> right. This one child, this one fourth grader or fifth grader showed up with a Nikon uh, F photomic. Okay. Wow. <laughs> I know. And a number of lenses, including the 105 at 2.5. Oh, wow. Yeah. Great. Um, I said, you're ready to go. And, and everything worked, too. <laughs> everything worked. Perfect. Um, so I got some film, had some donations, uh, some developer, and we would 
do that. And I also did a project in my music classes too, because it was a standard. One of the Georgia standards is to integrate music with other forms of art. Okay. The relationship between music and other kinds of art. And one year I did photography, and I focused on the the jazz photography of Francis Wolfe. Okay. If that name doesn't ring a bell and you're a jazz fan, then just go look at any Blue Note records that you might have, which are pretty valuable or rare, that you may know about it. Uh, It's Francis Wolfe, who was actually one of the co-owners of the company. Um, He and his business partner, I've forgotten his name, they came to New York from to escape the Nazis. Oh. And... um, they were big jazz fans. And of course, New York was where it was happening. So they opened up a, their own record label called Blue Note Records. Right. And um, Francis Wolfe did the books, but he would also show up at all the sessions with his uh, Rolleiflex. Okay. And he would shoot uh, the photos of the, all the, the, perform- the musicians making the music. And they would be on the cover. And, there's a, and if you go Google those, Blue Note Photography or Francis Wolfe, some photography, uh, which I hope you will, because it's great. You should study it. There's a style to it. it he shot with a flash, right. and he knew how to isolate the performer, well lit, perfectly lit, with the rest of the background fading to black. Right. And it looks they were all like they were all made in a even a photo studio, much less a they were not a recording studio, but a photo studio. They were actually made in a living room because the, uh, the <laughs> recording studio was the producer's living room. Oh, wow. Right? Or mm. his mother's house. I'm not sure. It's whatever. <laughs> it was a living room. That's where they set up the microphones and all that. But Francis Wolfe knew how to get that photo. Right. And so we uh, bought a bunch of, and for you FPP fans, you'll know what I'm talking about here. We bought... Uh, about five or six of the uh, debonair 120 right. uh, plastic fantastic cameras and uh, 120 cameras. And we bought uh, a bunch of film from the FPP because uh, I had it in the budget. And uh, we all took portraits of each other. We put a flash on that camera because it's got a hot shoe on right. it. And just a little plug. I don't know if they still have any of those or not, but if you're looking for a fun medium format camera. Yeah, I said, well, I've got my Holga. I said, this is a better camera than a Holga because it makes great portraits. Right. Because it's a four and a half by six um, aspect, you know, right. centimeters. So you got that aspect, that, that uh, portrait landscape. Now, portrait, I should say. Not square, <laughs> but it's, a, it's, sh- it's portrait, so it's right. long ways. And um, it's, the lens, the plastic lens, it's actually very sharp in the middle. Okay. around the middle so you can do a portrait and then have it fade to right. you know not kind of fuzziness on the corners it makes a great portrait camera especially with a flash on it right so my students took portraits of each other because i they were all learning how to play the ukulele so they would pose with the ukulele i'd put up like a studio microphone in front of them and they would and the results were incredible right so we had developed the film and 120 so you got these little frames you know but they're bigger than 35 millimeter then i got a bunch of sun paper which is pre-made cyanotype right and uh, made some uh, frames for them to uh, ex- uh, expose the paper out in the sun and then throw them into a big bucket of water and develop them and they made prints can you believe it they made prints <laughs> that's so fun that they got and we displayed them out in the hall right all these kids with their ukuleles, like the jazz musicians. <laughs> that is fun. Awesome. And, and that gets us into the other part of our, our discussion. Um, so you were a music educator, but let's, let's go back to how you got into that. What, what is, how did your musical journey unfold? You haven't talked as much about that since your podcast is, is more photography focused, but how did... How did you get hooked into music and then and decide that you wanted to teach that to others? Um, well, I really didn't have a choice about music. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't choose it. It chose me. Okay. Um, if I couldn't make my living doing something with music, I would have starved. <laughs> and I'm not, that's not, right. that's the truth. I'm just right. not that good at anything else. 
to make a, a you know a, a decent living. And fortunately for me, or blessed for me, I had this talent early on. My mom discovered it. Uh, both Kelly and I, as being the same age. Um, and being very young, she would put us into a playpen and she would put music on a stereo, a very nice stereo that my dad, who worked at a furniture store, had somehow gotten home um, as a gift to my mom, who liked music. And it was a very nice stereo, probably the nicest piece of furniture in our little apartment. And my mom would put on LPs and it was a changer. So you could put six of them on and it would just drop one, play it, and then when it was done, it would drop the other and would play that. Right. A voice of music. <laughs> voice of music is a brand name. And my mom discovered that whenever the music was playing, we wouldn't cry, for, for one, because that's what most infants do, or one-year-olds do when they're in the playpen. Let me out. Um but we would also pull ourselves up on the rail to the rail with our chins hanging over the rail and hands holding onto the rail into the standing position, and um, and we would be facing the stereo. Mom expected us to go to sleep, right. so she could get work done, clean house, whatever. So she'd go by and check on us, expecting us to be asleep because the music's playing softly. And it was the kind of music that my parents would listen to on the radio. Radio was incredibly huge back then to all of us and to me in later years too but it would be like Bing Crosby Dean Martin right Doris Day and um, Lawrence Welk I remember we had a Lawrence Welk record I think there was a Johnny Cash record in there too anyway we would be our faces would be facing toward the stereo and we would be as little babies bobbing up and down <laughs> and she figured out that first of all they're actually listening to it they're not just, it's just not playing in the background and then she also deviously realized that as long as she played music she didn't really have to do anything we were quite content <laughs> to have the music playing we would just listen to it so right i i think that she discovered that we could hear mm -hmm. that that talent of being able to hear and it made sense so um at some point, oh, and the next big thing that happened was just short of our sixth birthday, mm -hmm. uh, we, we always, as a family, watched The Ed Sullivan Show, which, for those of you who don't know, was a, a show that you don't see nowadays, a variety show where you had a host who did nothing, really, but introduce <laughs> the acts of the show, right. and it would be different performers, Broadway, popular song, <laughs> circus acts, my favorite through the years, because he was on through the years, was the guy who spun the plates on the pole. Uh, right. Love that. <laughs> but on this particular Sunday in February 1964, it was a, a group called the Beatles. And I, as I said, I wasn't even six years old yet. And I remember that was transformative. It was right. like music that was not on our radio and a look that I had never seen before four guys actually playing interesting instruments, guitars, drums. I focused on the drummer. Right. That's what I wanted to do. And they were having so much fun. They looked like they were having the time of their life. And it was chaos. And what kid doesn't love chaos? <laughs> um, because there was no right. chaos in my world at the time. And right. there was chaos going on in that studio. <laughs> <laughs> And from that point, I became a pest, right. and Kelly too. We pestered for a Beatles record, and finally, and and we owned a record player at the time because we were fascinated by records. And Mom took us one day to uh, she had enough. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, maybe we had some shopping to do at the mall, and we went to the J.C. Penney store, where that's you bought records at the department stores back then, right? And um, came home with Meet the Beatles, which I still have over here. on okay. the, Maybe not the same copy, but right. we played it and played it, played it. And, and of course, I said I was wanted to be the drummer. I wanted to be Ringo. Mm -hmm. So once we had the record, I would play a song over and over and over again. And that was the magic 
that I thought records were like magic. You could put the needle on, it would play that song. You could put the needle back at the beginning again, and it would play the song the same way as many times as you, like the radio, you had to wait right. for that song to come around. But you could, so I would play a song and I had prior to this scrounged around the yard for looking for anything I could make into a drum set. And I found that my, my great grandmother, we lived in the upstairs uh, uh, apartment of my great grandmother's house in Chattanooga Highland Park. And uh, cause our job was, she was elderly and our job as a family was to kind of look after her. I found that her old clothes washing tub was in the backyard rusting away. So that became the bass drum. Right. And I found other things, pots and pans, whatever. <laughs> and I made a drum set, found some sticks. So I would listen to a song like, um, uh, I saw her standing there. Mm-hmm over and over and over and over again. And then I would run downstairs and through my grandma, great-grandmother's house, out into the backyard, hop on the drum set, and try to play the drum part. And then I would run, run back inside and listen to the record to see if I came close. And I would run back out of the house to do the same thing again. Right. And then later on, when we were in fourth grade, our parents came home one day with an actual drum set. Oh, wow. That was a big day. So oh, we man. set the drum set up, and now we could play the record and play along. And that's that was a Ringo's great teacher. Right. I mean, he really is. He's the best because he doesn't play the drums. He plays the song. Right. A lot of people play the drums, <laughs> but good drummers play the songs. And you had to play. You couldn't rush or, or drag. Right. Because you'd be off from the record. So I learned to keep time. And, um, and so, I mean, later on, we took elementary band. Right. Both Kelly and I did. And that got us into the band program. And we learned how to read music and all that. And that led to us being, um, again, not capable of doing anything else. Right. That's how we became music majors in college and then teachers after that. For me personally... I, I thought I had great music teachers in my life. They could be hard. They could be um, hard to live with at times, you know, because they could let you know when they weren't happy. Right. And sometimes that was focused on me. It was, a, you know, a bad, embarrassing when the band director calls you out. <laughs> right. But he did it to make it better. And I remember how amazed I was that one person at the front of the ensemble could, you know, we'd pass out the, uh, the, the music, the, sc- the scores, all the different parts, and we would do our first run-through of a new piece, and it would sound awful. But right. then over time, I was in good bands in my high school. It would sound marvelous. Right. And I was just amazed that that, that, that person at the front could tell everybody what to do to make it sound good. So I wanted to be that. I wanted to be a teacher. I wanted to make musical things happen in a classroom. Right. And and along those lines, I mean, we talked about sharing your love of photography with people, and you made a career of sharing your love of music with people. And so kind of what was your your goal per, personally, What you know, to be successful for any student that came to your classroom? If you had done, what would you feel like you had succeeded? If I always went on the faith right. that it happened, whether I knew it happened or not, mm-hmm. because it was always my goal. I mean, I, I say that. Uh, I spent 11 years, my first 11 years, well, not my first 11 years, uh, I spent 11 years as a high school chorus teacher along the way. Okay. Um, I was... My last 16 years were elementary, and then the 11 years before that was high school chorus, and then before that was some, I did a lot of graduate school teaching in the choral area, okay. and also music appreciation. Um, and <laughs> sometimes I'd be up rehearsing a group, and the principal would come in, because they have to come in and check on you to make sure that you're actually doing your job. You know? <laughs> right. And they'd say, where's your lesson plan? Do you have a lesson plan? And I'd say, it's right here. And I'd hold up the score, the choral score. 
what's your what's your plan what's your objective say <laughs> so, to make this sound good <laughs> to make this sound good that's my objective right well how you, what are you going to do it's just whatever i have to <laughs> to make it sound good but uh, that was my job as a high school course teacher but but at elementary school i learned even more and i know it was true even then my real job was if i had students that loved music so much that it was uh, essential in their lives. Because I know how essential it is in my life. Right. I'm, I'm talking to you right now, and there's, I'll, go, I'll, pro, I'll listen to this podcast, and I'll hate everything that I say because <laughs> I don't feel like I communicate very well. Yeah. But give me a song. Not not necessarily one of my songs, but somebody else's songs. And I just feel like that says, or it doesn't even have to have words. It could be a piece of instrumental music or a, a Beethoven string quartet or a piece of piano music by Debussy. Beautiful. And and I say, that says, that says it far better than I could say it. You know, I know how essential it is to me. I want everybody to have a song that they can't live without right you know or a piece of music they cannot live without and hopefully more than one whether they actually can sing it or not and of course i'd love them to be able to sing it or play it but at least when that comes on and it resonates with them and they know that that they know something about themselves that they would not have known otherwise because of that piece of music. Right. That's, that's what I want. That, I, that's a great goal, <laughs> I would say. And so um, we kind of, you know, we talked about Uncle Jonesy and his photography and your mother and her love of music. And, and, and all throughout the story, you and Kelly have shared these passions, photography and music and being teachers as, as well. So that family connection there too. And, and, and your children have artistic creative passions as well. Kind of, kind of what are your thoughts? Cause I'm always interested, you know, it, it feels like some people come from with music or photography. Sometimes there's a very, clear you can see they grew up immersed in it and it's clear to see where they got their passion for some people there isn't uh, an obvious connection to how they got involved in these things but you're you're obviously very passionate about both of these things and and you've had kelly there with you to for both of you to encourage one another uh, throughout your life and now you've passed these things down to your to your children like Uncle Jonesy passed it down to y'all. I, I guess I'm asking generally what's kind of the family point of view about these things to you. Well, uh, with my own kids, you know, I've, obviously I made sure that they were exposed to music. Right. And people ask me, you know, what kind of music do you like? Mm -hmm. And I, I, I know what they want me to say. They want to know if I like rock and roll or country or jazz or whatever. Um, and the fact of the matter is I only know two kinds of music and that's good and bad. And not that I'm calling someone's music good and someone's music bad. I, I think that, that if you listen to, for example, I give this example. I have some relatives who, who, when we take trips with them and I love these people dearly, they're, they're very wonderful people uh, they're they're a little bit older than I am, and so they were in the '60s, a little bit older than me. So they very much fans of the music of the '60s, and so they'll we'll take a like a two-hour trip in their car, and they've got Sirius XM, and so they have it on '60s on six, right? right. And it's just playing all '60s music, and we think of the '60s. Wow, yeah, the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, the, the Birds. Uh, you could go on and on and on. And yes, those that music will appear, but there's also some really lousy music in the '60s too. <laughs> right. It's just, uh, and the same thing is true for like uh, my stepdad is a big Elvis fan, and he has it. Uh, he has it on the Elvis 
uh, Sirius XM channel. So it plays nothing but Elvis. <laughs> right. Well, as much as we all love Elvis, not everything he recorded was very good. Right. <laughs> you know, a lot of those songs for the movies are not very good. And he knew yeah. it. Right. You know. Um, so any genre or period has music that's inspired and music that's kind of a fabricated Mm -hmm. and today is as we all know (laughs) is no (laughs) exception so i i always consider it if it's authentic if it's really inspired creative it's good if it's manufactured like um fast food not knocking fast food but you wouldn't want to eat it all the time right you know so I like all kinds of music. And I would play it all for my kids. Mm-hmm. And they would listen. I'd play things. To, and I, and eventually, at some along the way, they found their own music. And they went through their um, kind of um, flavor of the month or flavor of the day pop music period. Right. You know, which is great. Because there were a lot of 45s that I listened to that I might be embarrassed to say that I own those records, right? you know. But they were on the radio, and we'd go buy them and list them. So they listed. But what happened was, eventually, they, they started listening to more interesting things. Mm-hmm. They both, and this is when the computer age, as far as digital music started, so it became possible to find stuff. The radio became a lot less important because the radio became very splintered. Right. You know, you whatever you wanted to listen to as far as the kind of music, you just push the button and that's all you would ever hear. You've never hear like if you listen to classic rock, you're not going to hear anything new. Right. You're you're probably not going to hear anything you've never heard before. <laughs> right. That's right. And um, so they would they would be on the internet finding things and they would they knew that I was interested, so they play me stuff. And that's when I realized that the teacher has become the student Mm -hmm. because they introduced me to all kinds of music that was current that I would not have known. And I have a couple of, for example, if you, if you know, you know, Mac DeMarco. Mm -hmm. I love his music. I love his entire approach to recording. And there's some others that I have. Uh, I have a nephew that loves the strokes. Right. And I kind of wish I'd paid more attention at the time because I love that sound now. <laughs> right. So they've become, they have kept me from being a push to classic rock button. I'd never do it. Right. I have the records. I've got Hotel California. Right. The, the same copy I bought when it came out. <laughs> I never play it. Right. So thank you, Megan and Amber, because uh, if, without them, I would not have known. Right. And so that kind of leads me to the last thing I wanted to ask you about, because these are things that were, you know, it is possible for people to have a career with these things, one or the other or both. A lot of people do them for hobbies or because they're passionate about it or creative outlets. We This was another thing we were kind of talking about as we were walking along the river, you know, I think we would all like to make great work, work that we enjoy. I I think that's part of, of the key for me. I mean, I mean, what, what is kind of your take on that music and photography? If, if it's, you know, what, what, what do you think is the right thing for a person to be trying to get out of all of this? I, I don't know. I think that's somebody that that's a question that each person has to answer. Right. I really don't know. I, I certainly can't say. I, I certainly can't say that what I hold for myself is what everybody else should do because right. I know that I'm. Uh, one of the things that I knew would happen when I retired, we retired two years earlier than I was expecting to. Mm-hmm. Um. So it was a little, a little bit of a surprise. I was already planning for it, but it happened two years early. And I'm glad. Everything was great. Right. But 
I knew that I would not be able to sit around and just watch TV or, you know, that I would need to do something to produce something. I feel like as long as you're alive, as long as you've got a heartbeat and you're able to, that if you have something that you can do, paint or write, make music, make photographs, cook or write recipes, write down recipes, so that because your life is finite, there's going to be a day where you're not going to be around to do those things. And if you didn't do them, you're not going to be able to go back. And I sure wish that, you know, someone in my family had written down that recipe. Right. You know, or if you're going to capture family moments on film or digital, whatever, it doesn't matter. It, is, it might be too late. And, of course, most of us with with uh, those kind of things, we... I mean, I've got VHS tapes of my kids <laughs> and a VHS player right over there. Right. You know, right. so we do that uh, with uh, hopefully with photography. But if there's a talent that you have, you only have so long. And remembering that it's like the parable of the of the talents, mm -hmm. the gifts, a, a good word for talents in, in that parable would be the gifts. If you've been given a gift, what have you produced with that gift? I think and I'm not saying it for everybody else, but I feel a responsibility to use it in a way that other people will be blessed by. So if it means printing that photograph or recording that song or at least writing it down so other people, and it may never amount to anything. The CDs that I've made may never amount to anything. You know, that's okay. But there perhaps are, there's somebody, maybe. The songs I wrote, the musicals I wrote for my students, well, I know it will matter to them because right. I wrote them for them, you know. I just think it's important to not waste your gifts right? because you only have so much time and um, the clock is ticking. That's right. And That's... I don't mean that in a negative way. No, no. It's a good way. Absolutely. Now's the time. And that's a very encouraging message to go out on, I think, Kevin. I, I really do appreciate your time again and your insights on these things that, that mean so much to us. Well, I appreciate that. Uh, can I do a couple of plugs here? Yes, please do. Tell everybody where they can uh, get in touch, see what you've been up to, maybe even hear some of your music. Well, first of all, let me go back toward the beginning of the podcast. I should have right. said this then. If you want to see examples of Kelly's work on guitar, mm -hmm. uh, his website is Kelly Lane Guitars, and Kelly is spelled K-E-L-L-E-Y, kellylaneguitars.com. And um, go visit that. He also has uh, an Instagram channel, Kelly or Instagram feed, Kelly Lane Guitars. He's not a frequent poster there, but when he finishes a guitar or if he has an interesting guitar come into the shop for repair, he might take a picture of it. Right. Uh, go visit that because uh, if, you are, if you're listening to this and you, you must be a music fan of some sort <laughs> uh, or a player, and go check his guitars out. Uh, the podcast is Uncle Jonesy's Canvas Podcast. You can get on all your favorite podcast feeds, uh, iTunes, Google. Uh, we have a blog which I've kind of um, taken a rest from, but not permanent. Uh, it is unclejonesyscameras.blogspot.com. And of course, our Instagram and Facebook feeds are at UJC Podcast. Back in 2001, I recorded an album of the songs I had written. I was quite proud of it. It's called Autumn Sky. I played all the instruments. So it's like McCartney 4, except McCartney didn't do it. Right. <laughs> And it's not as good, right. <laughs> but I like it. And you know, the my wife will put it on every now and then, like if we're on a road trip or something, and she'll go to my phone and put it on. I never ask her to do that. <laughs> I want you to know. <laughs> but the best thing I can say about it, mm -hmm. all these years later, is I don't hate it. Right. You know. Yeah. Because I've grown. I'm changed. Grown. Whatever. Music's changed so much. The people, it, it, when people ask me what kind of music 
do you make? I say hopelessly out of fashion music because it's changed so much since then. It really has. Um, very few people listen to songs anymore. They listen to tracks or beats or whatever, which is fine. But I, I'm hopelessly out of date. I like songs. I think Ryan Adams uh, had a saying, songs are the currency of my soul. So you can find my music on iTunes or Google. And um, if you want a CD, drop me a line and I'll let, I will, um, or let Billy know and I'll get yeah. you a CD. Absolutely. And I will include links for all of that in the show notes as well. And just thanks so much again, Kevin. I, I really do appreciate your time. Well, I appreciate you asking me, and I hope I haven't bored anybody here on the show. Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. I want to thank Kevin Lane again, not just for the conversation, but for being such a gracious host to me in Chattanooga. I highly recommend checking out the Uncle Jonesy's Camera Podcast and all of the other links in the show notes. Thanks, as always, to Mike Detterman for our theme song, Timeless. Mike makes music for content creators available on his Bandcamp page at mikegutterman.bandcamp.com. And, of course, thanks to the team over at Sunny16 for hosting the Sunny16 Presents feed. You can get in touch with them over at sunny16presents at gmail.com if you have an idea for something you'd like to share with the community. And, as always, as John Whitmore might say, always try and be a decent human being.